Welcome to this podcast episode from Ipsos's REACH Network. REACH stands for Race, Ethnicity and Cultural Heritage. And we are an open network at Ipsos that welcomes anyone who wants to work to improve the representation and enhance the experience of minority ethnic employees across all levels of Ipsos and in wider society. My name is Belinda Lati and I'm one of the co-chairs of the REACH Network. I'm also Associate Director in the healthcare team, and I'm joined by my co-chair, Scarlett. Hi everyone, my name is Scarlett Law. I am also the co-chair of the REACH Network, as well as a director in Ipsos Healthcare Service Line. In this discussion today, we're going to talk about some of the main findings from the Ipsos survey about the extent to which UK workers believe that there have been changes in their workplaces since the murder of George Floyd two years ago. Now, most of us know that on May the 25th in the year 2020, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the USA. And the murder, which was captured on video by a teenager, actually called Daniela Frazier, sparked global outrage. And it was followed by protests, and there were promises and proposed programs to bring real change and equality for ethnic minorities. And as the REACH network of Ipsos, we wanted to find out the extent to which people's experiences at work specifically had actually changed in the last two years. The research also served as foundation to a panel discussion that REACH held on the 26th of May in collaboration with the Financial Times Embrace Network, and on the panel, we had a few of those leading in improving diversity and inclusion in Ipsos and the Financial Times. The Financial Times used the findings from Ipsos research to publish an article entitled Race at Work, How Hard Are Companies Really Trying? on the 26th of May. Uh, the full data is available on the Ipsos website and we'll provide a link to that in the description of this podcast. So now uh, we're going to talk about a few of the main takeaways from the research. Yes, let's get down to it. So um, I guess one of the main takeaways that stand out was that those from an ethnic minority background are less likely than white workers to feel valued at work or that they can be themselves at work without fear of bullying or harassment, which is quite a big deal. Uh, Scarlett, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think these are the topics that people usually tend to suspect or assume and have been discussing them anecdotally, you know, over the last couple of years. And it, it, it's good and interesting that it's now reflected in our data. It's, it's not really a surprise, to be honest, mm. but the fact that there is quite a big gap around 13 to 14% in the perception between um, ethnic minorities and the white workers tell us that there are still quite a lot of work to do in this space. And, and also I feel like it's, it's also just in general, uh, more work need to be, do, uh, to be done for uh, workers to feel more valued and be themselves because even 63% from the white workers are still pretty low. Yeah, it's pretty rubbish. <laughs> um, yeah, but in particular for people from uh, minority ethnic backgrounds, um, more work need to be done. Mm. And it makes me think, you know, what can we, 
how can we expect the best from all kind of workers if they don't feel valued at work? Mm -hmm. So all companies need to be really looking at, uh, at how to make their employees feel valued. And there are a range of ways to do that. Obviously, money comes up quite a lot and making sure people are well recompensed. Um, but also this thing about just not feeling, not having a fear of being bullied at mm -hmm. work, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely important to address. Well, another interesting point, you know, our survey also asked whether UK workers had seen a change in their workplaces in various parameters. One of them was how much racial diversity there is in the leadership. Only 27% of the sample said that this had increased. Over half said it had stayed the same. Mm -hmm. So, Belle, any reflection on this? Uh... Hmm. You know, when we were putting together the panel uh, and when we shared the information about the panel, I remember some of the initial feedback we had was, you know, it's not particularly racially diverse, especially for the subject matter. And on one hand, we had decided quite early with the Financial Times that we didn't want an all black panel because it was, you know, about George Floyd murder. We didn't even want an all ethnic minority panel. But it was important to have a mix um, of of people from different ethnic minorities. And we wanted people quite senior and who were having a role in, in improving diversity and inclusion. So when we, you know, what we did find that when you're looking for people who are more senior, it does become particularly difficult to to find people from, the, well, that it's ethnically diverse. Basically, it, it was a, a challenge and, and that are available for such things. So um, it, it's, it's not a surprise. Uh, the only one in four have seen that that, that there is more diverse diversity, racial diversity in their senior um, leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the, the panel members, um, you know, from our event did acknowledge this and um, were asked about the, the difficulties of trying to have more ethnically uh, diverse leaders at senior position. And the focus of the responses were more on what they are trying to do to change this because it's a challenge for, for many organizations across different industries. It's not, it's not like specific for any industry. Um, you know, for example, it is often stated that within market research, you know, there are there aren't many people from ethnic minority background historically in general. So so therefore those who have progressed over the years to more senior levels are less likely to come from minority ethnic backgrounds. Um, so therefore more is being done to get people from diverse background interested in research. And then we can build up that pool of talent to then progress to, to, to leadership, um, which is one way to, to, to look at it. Mm -hmm. And which, which also, you know, lend to some of the success we have seen in organizations that with their early career mm -hmm. in junior roles that the diversity has kind of improved overnight, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, but it will take time, um, you know, probably a long time for these people to, to become more senior. And so we really need to think about in the meantime, what else can be done for people who are already in the industry and in, in the mid or mid senior level for them to, to progress to more senior, senior position. Definitely. I think basically summarizing what you're saying, it's about recruitment but also promotions internally mm -hmm. right uh we can't focus on just trying to recruit early careers that's almost like seems like low-hanging fruit but recruiting early careers doesn't help us with senior leadership anytime soon 
um, so we we need to think about, um, you know, what directions are we giving the recruitment agencies when we're recruiting at senior levels? Because the recruitment agencies have a big role in in who is presented to us and the candidates that, that we're shown. Um, are there shortlists being challenged? You know, the recruitment agency shortlist. Uh, how diverse is the the selection group, the people that are making the decisions? How diverse is that group? Um, how diverse is the interview panel? Do we need a full interview panel? Do you need four, four people, even three people to interview one person? Mm-hmm. Um, and what ways has it been communicated that working for the organisation will be, you know, I guess safe and people from different backgrounds? You know, people will look at what the, the, the makeup of the company, who works there, how diverse that looks. Um but if there are initiatives being done in the company, then that also needs to be communicated and not just the generic thing that all companies have now. We are really committed to committed to diversity and inclusion. Yeah, everyone says that, but everyone looks real the same, like really the, that they come from the same place here. So what are you doing? Yeah. I think that's a way to make a company stand out already when you can specifically say what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to show that we're taking diversity and inclusion seriously if we want to seriously mm-hmm. recruit diversely and inclusively yeah not just taking the easy route right yes. just just only focus on the quick win yeah and um yeah absolutely and and another point i just want to touch on is also the the managers and the decision makers because mm-hmm. to what extent are they engaged and understand their role in improving diversity inclusion in their organization you know is it part of their objectives is you know, if they don't feel like this is a part of their role, how could they be part of the change? How could they, mm-hmm. you know, encourage and empower people, report into them to be part of this? You know, like some conversations I had over the years is people's like, oh, I'm really interested, but I don't, I'm not sure if my manager are super, you know, mm-hmm. on top of this and, and want me to spend time on it. Then we don't want that. So, yeah, it, it's... It's like it isn't something, um, you know, you can pick and choose to do or not for an organization. There need to be a cultural, overall cultural change that everyone playing their role. Because if someone reporting to you and you are reporting to someone else, then it's all connected. So mm-hmm. everyone need to play their part. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, things in organization, if we don't make it part of someone's goal, like the the ethnicity pay gap, for example, if we don't make it mandatory, we didn't notice in in um, another research we've done, you know, that the, the reduction in company reporting the ethnicity pay gap is because it's not made mandatory. So so things might not happen. I definitely agree. Um, I think that's one of the key terms, actually, that you said, Scarlett. Does everyone know their role in this? Right, rather than thinking it's some some of someone else's role. And I think that we come back to that a bit later in one of the other key takeaways. Okay, so what else came out from the research? Uh well, linked to what you were saying, Scarlett, um, workers from an ethnic minority background are more likely than white workers to feel that the murder of George Floyd impacted their company's actions. But then they are also more likely to feel that the changes were short-lived. Um so we, we, were, we were seeing in the data, like just themes of, of just greater awareness amongst those uh, from ethnic minority, where it was, wh- whether it was about communications, about uh, diversity and inclusion, or um, even things like ethnicity pay gap, which we'll talk about shortly. There was just more awareness of what was going on if people were from an ethnic minority. 
and mm. um, you know they're more likely to state that their company currently hosts internal events and releases internal statements related to, to race and ethnicity. White employees, white workers are more likely to say they don't know. I mean, mm. suggest some kind of en- engagement issue. Yeah. What do you yeah. think, Scarlett? Yeah, I think it could be interpreted as um, a lack of engagement in some way. And, um, you know, some people might think this is not their problem to solve. You know, the engagement piece is really essential because real change will not happen if only a small group of people, you know, no matter how how active, how <laughs> amazing they've done their work, you know, the real change will not happen. Um, so we need more people to be part of this. So I think workplaces... Um, really have a lot to think and to do to really make effective communication, as you mentioned, um, that, you know, some people not not heard that or didn't pay attention. So is the communication effective or has the communication made some people feel excluded? Mm. Is something to consider as well. Mm. Um, so that's all kind of quite um, important thing to consider and take a very nuanced approach in that as well. And also to take actions to involve everyone, um, particularly managers mm. and decision makers, mm. because, you know, they are the role models. They, you know, what, what they do can directly um, impact what, what other people would do in the organization. Yeah, and they can either like uh, kind of stoke a fire that someone has and a passion or they can Mm -hmm. distinguish it. Yeah, exactly. And another piece of very interesting finding is that approximately one in 10 workers state that their company has released ethnicity pay gap information. Again, white workers are more likely to not know. So what do you think, Belle? We know that at Ipsos and actually the Financial Times as well, we you know, both companies release their ethnicity pay gap information. It's not mandatory in the UK. I think what's really interesting is that uh, between 2020 and 2021, um, Data Hub did some research and found that the number of companies releasing and publishing their ethnicity pay gap information halved, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, yeah. oh, George Floyd stuff, let's get some information out about the pay gap. Oh, it's not mandatory next year. Let's not, because we probably haven't done that much actually. So <laughs> to change it. So let's just not publish it. Um and I think it it, it like you said, um, Scarlett, if we don't make certain things mandatory, people will not do it. Mm-hmm. This thing about, oh, it's natural, but things will become progressive, people will want to do it and so on. No, because it actually it's a, it you need money and you need resources to do it, and people won't want to do it. And also people are concerned about how it makes the company look mm-hmm. but at some point it's going to the, the a lot of organizations will look worse for not taking action because it shows a level of commitment a lot of the time and, and that you're willing to be held accountable yeah uh, yeah I, I totally agree on the accountability piece because you know i think publishing ethnicity pay gap is not about just the numbers that the percentage how much you've moved on that but it's really use that as a tool to hold yourself accountable and then what comes with that is the action plan is what you are going to do really making sense you know I don't think anyone or any people from ethnic minority background will expect that you don't have a gap <laughs> to start with or you can close the gap overnight no one will expect that but is you know is to acknowledge that and to have a plan in place um, 
to to move ahead on this is is really gonna you know have that impact and 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 make the change yeah in the long really, run yeah it's really important um so that's a challenge to to people from different companies and those making those decisions that you know are you willing to stand up and be counted and start looking at how to publish the ethnicity pay gap of course if you want to come to ipsos we can definitely help you with that um yeah we know that it does encourage people to come and work for Ipsos. You know, some people have said to me, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that dream with Ipsos is that they published ethnicity pay gap. Uh, and, you know, it shows that more and more people are gradually looking at, at things like that. Yep. So I guess one of the final pieces of, of information that really stood out, and there was quite a lot that came out from the data, but one of the final pieces that's probably worth us talking about today was about microaggressions. Uh, and what what the data found, I guess, unsurprisingly, is that more workers from ethnic minority backgrounds, especially black workers, report experiencing microaggressions at work. And this includes, you know, nearly one in four black workers who have experienced having their hair or head covering touched without their permission. That's just one of them. Uh, but we can see, like, throughout all of them, the bar for black workers is just much higher. So first of all, those... Who are, who are black are experiencing microaggressions much more. Mm-hmm. This thing about touching hair and head covering without permission. And the the reason why I, I'm bringing this one up in particular is because, well, one, it's weird that people yeah. are, think it's, it's weird, but also a lot of black people will say, yeah, that's, that's the thing that people will ask to touch your hair or think it's okay just to reach out and grab your hair. I think that uh, the other thing is that it shows about the, in, the 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 importance of showing the differences and experiences of different ethnic minority groups. You know, Scarlett and I and I have discussed this, and she's like, "This is, you know, Scarlett's of, of of Chinese background heritage. This is a weird thing. No one would ever do this." And I'm like, "Yeah, this is a thing that I discuss with friends and family that it can happen at work. It's a risk." And so when we talk about ethnic minorities and so on, and with this research, we did do you know we looked at subsets as well, and there is some information on that. Um, and the more detailed data, but um, it's important to look at the nuances because ethnic minority groups, that's why we stopped using the word BAME, it just became too generic, um, is to look at the the groups. When you look at, you know, yeah, we have this percentage of people from ethnic minorities, what's, what's the breakdown by different groups, please? Because you will find that certain ethnic minorities are really highly represented and seen as sometimes easier to reach. Mm-hmm. And that effort is made there, is effort more effort is made to reach them and include them in 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 work in in the, well, the work environment um so that also needs to be challenged i think um and, and one thing the other thing that stood out to me was about you know we, we asked the workers to what extent have these increased since the murder of george mm-hmm. floyd um for many, some of the, you know, a lot of them stayed the same, but it was interesting that over a third of those from ethnic minorities have seen an increase in racially offensive language being used at work. Yeah, well, that percentage is way too high. And the fact that it has increased since 2020, where, you know, we have an explosion on, on not, you know, on, on, on this or uh, this racial topics and, and discussions awareness, you know, it's really a bit concerning when uh, looking at that percentage. Um, you know, just as you you mentioned earlier about the the microaggression piece is is a complicated topic because it's it's very nuanced. It's very different for for different groups. So so I think the company really need to think about you know 
what they can do to educate, to increase conversation, and then to improve understanding. Because a lot of times, people might not actually come from a bad place. You, they, they didn't do these things, try to, to harm or hurt anyone, but then the person on the receiving end is, 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 is offended or hurt. So, so I think it's to have this increasing understanding of, of you know, the, and listen to people's experience and, and have empathy is really, really important on that piece. And also, you know, yeah, the increasing in using racially offensive language, it's, um, I'm not sure if the, um, the the pandemic and the you know the the more remote working you know <laughs> has has had anything to do with it as well um but but yeah that is really something um quite concerning and 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 you know organization really need to be paying attention to that if that is something that happens to their company yeah and I think it sometimes it I'm thinking about how it might link to that first piece that we spoke about of like you know being yourself at work without being uh without fear of you know bullying or harassment mm-hmm. uh and you know can I wear my hair in every hairstyle that I want to at work without judgment without someone making a strange comment without mm-hmm. someone wanting to reach out and touch it mm-hmm. and you know they're called microaggressions for a reason you know they're quite they can be quite small but they build up yeah. Yeah. you know micro micro microaggression builds up as mm-hmm. equals big yeah. aggression so what is it, you know people might sometimes say but what's the big deal about it and so on and in ca- and you know if you want to be informed about that there's lots of reading about that around but just in summary it's this feeling of constantly being othered yeah uh constantly being othered and the impact that has on your well-being and how how you feel the extent to which you feel that you fit in at work you know it, and also, it's important to read on on history as to why people why people might be particularly sensitive about things. You know, yeah. there were times when people from ethnic minorities, black people, were put basically put in zoos and and petted and put as an exhibition. I'm mm. I am no longer an exhibition, right? Mm-hmm. So, don't treat me like one. And there are ways yeah. to ask if you're curious. I can I ask about I can ask about Scarlett's hair <laughs> and so on and yeah. and and things like that. But um, I ask in a way that is sensitive and curious and in a way also I can say oh you know if it's offensive let me know but Mm -hmm. how'd you get your hair so shiny you know I want to know (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like I I just think that that open-mindedness it's also important because you know one of the worst thing can happen is like if you've said something then then some people told you well that is not a nice thing to say and explain why. And then you just get super defensive and not willing to listen. And then that is really not what we want to say. Yeah. You know, it's just to have that open-mindedness to to, to um, have empathy and to to understand why um, is really important. Empathy, so important. Yeah. So let's conclude, Scarlett. What yeah. would you say are the main conclusions or takeaways from these findings and what we've discussed today, like in terms of moving forward? Um, I think for me, um, from our data, and we can definitely see that people are increasingly paying attention to what companies are doing, in particular, people from SD minority backgrounds. So it's really important for organizations to really take actions on what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm and to really align their their words and their actions. Um, and also another 
another thing is like, what are we really doing to get more diverse people in the more senior roles? And, you know, so, so that shows the people who are in the pipeline who are coming, you know, later to see, yes, there is going to be a future for them. They can potentially be on the board. They can potentially be in a senior role in this organization. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for me, uh, I, I often think about something that, that Matt Fottrell said on the panel from the Financial Times. Um, he spoke about how he started to ask at recruitment, what did you do, like in interviews, what did you do in your last role to improve diversity and inclusion? And I think that just sets the tone. Mm-hmm. Even I was like, oh, when he asked, I was like, what did yeah. say? No, obviously I'm part of the Reach Network now, but I can see a lot of people just right, you know, really digging and thinking. And I think it's so, that really sets the tone. Isn't mm-hmm. this that this is important to us. We're gonna ask you at interview stage. Yeah. Um and of course we need engagement from people of all backgrounds. You know, we, we say as Reach as part of our mission statement that is a, a network for everyone. It's not a network for ethnic minorities or people mm-hmm. that identify as being from ethnic minorities. It's for everyone that is interested, that um is pa- passionate, that just is intrigued about how to be part of improving the the situation. Um, and 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 everyone has a role. Mm-hmm. You said, yeah, and and also just even people have different perspectives. We'd like to hear. Yes, you know? please. Yeah, but real change will require the majority to act. Yeah, I think that's the end for yes. our discussion, Scarlett. Yeah, it's uh, a great discussion. Yeah, thank you everyone for 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 listening. If you have any questions or comments or you want to collaborate with the Reach Network, or you have something to share, then get in touch with with me, Belle, or... Me, Scarlett. Um, we will put our contact details, our email addresses, um, in the information and in, in the notes about this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and it's given you food for thought. Thank you. Thank you.